0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe.
0: Come to us, JP. Hey, yo, 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 bring it in. Hey, this the moment right here. This the moment we all been waiting for, dawg. This is all mother out. We're going to protect this for everything you know. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 1-0 after their big win over the Dallas Cowboys, and now their sights are set toward the NFC South rival, the Atlanta Falcons. What's up, everyone? Welcome into season one, episode nine of the Believe in Bucks podcast. I am your host, Evan Winter. You can find me on Twitter at Evan underscore winter, and you can find my written work on Sports Illustrated's allbucks.com, and you can find this podcast at as well as the multitude of other wonderful podcasts that the Believe Podcast Network has to offer on Believe.com. Also, be sure to check out their Twitter handle. Give it a follow at Believe Podcasts. You can also find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you know, whatever the hell, all of those different types of, uh, of streaming services or, or download services, whatever, y'all. I'm 32. I don't know. I can't keep up with this stuff anymore. But you know where to find it, so be sure to check it all out. So, I hope everyone is doing well tonight, today, whatever time it is that you are listening to this show. It's been a little while, but I promise we're going to get right back into the thick of it. I have On With Me tonight... Adnan Ikich of the Falcoholic uh, that is part of the SB Nation universe. He's been on the show multiple times, a wonderful, wonderful guest. He's going to help me preview this game. And then after that, I'm going to give you all some betting advice, some gambling advice. And, hey, your boy didn't do too good last week. Actually, I'll be real. Full disclosure, you know how we were honest on this show. I lost $500 last weekend. Lost every single freaking bet. Buffalo absolutely bent me over a barrel and showed me the 50 states uh the oakland ravens game i had the under i mean man it just did not work out but hey i'll be back don't worry about that still take my advice i probably shouldn't take my own advice but i tend to give others good advice but regardless i'll be back in it so be sure to stick around, though, after the game preview for some cool gambling tips and, and props to uh, look out for this weekend. But enough of my rambling. We're here to talk Bucks, and obviously this is the first segment of the show, so we're going to talk some Bucks updates, a little bit of news surrounding the team. And obviously, I mean, if you've followed the team this week, we're going to talk about the injury report, some big, big developments coming out this week in terms of availability and possibly – not availability whatever that word is uh inavailability uh misavailability I don't know I'm not a podcast host or a writer or anything i don't I'm not supposed to know words but whatever y'all know what I'm talking about unavailability okay i'm i'm stop I'm the, the i'm just i'm just pulling the rope tighter and tighter but anyways uh, Jordan whitehead he's back he's back baby we back um he's back after missing the first week after missing all of you know, basically all of training camp and the preseason, he hasn't he hadn't practiced with the team uh, since August 10th before this week. So yeah, it's been a minute, Jordan. We missed you, buddy. Good to have you back on the field. This is a huge boost, obviously, for the Bucks because a they just lost Sean Murphy bunting for at least three weeks. It's going to be longer than that, folks. You know, I don't like to speculate too much, but I'm sorry. We all saw that replay. The the guy's not coming back anytime soon. Most likely, it's going to be season ending. Uh, You know, the MRIs came back negative, obviously, which means there were no ligament damage, nothing like that, no tears. However, just with a with, I mean, think about it, cornerback, and he plays physical. He he tackles. He's a nickel back uh he jams at the line of scrimmage you know you've got your elbows that's a lot going on with your elbows and you want to make sure especially for someone who's going into a contract year I know football players heart and soul they're gonna you know they're gonna fight all that stuff you know he's gonna get on the field when and if he can I get that trust me I get that But at the same time be a little smart about it Sean because you are going into a contract year Yes, you have a chance to win another Super Bowl this year. It's not like you're on a 2-14 and team. But at the same time, keep in mind, there could possibly be a lot of money riding on the line here. So, you know, obviously get back in when you can, but also be kind of judicious when it comes to uh, getting into the context of forcing yourself back early. But anyways... Huge boost for the secondary, obviously. um, I think we're going to see a couple of dime packages out of the Bucs this week just based off of what the Falcons do offensively in terms of their personnel. They run a lot of 22, 21 uh, personnel, which, in case you're not familiar, two running backs, two tight ends, two running backs, one tight end. They run a lot of 12 personnel, which is one running back, two tight ends. And both of their tight ends, Hayden Hurst and Kyle Pitts, they can catch the ball. They're decent receivers, uh, and I say decent because I'm I'm shrinking down uh, into the median, the average, because Hayden Hurst, yeah, he's, he's a pretty good receiver. Kyle Pitts is obviously an excellent receiver coming out of Florida. So, you know, you put the two together, and, yeah, you know, they're both decent receivers. So e- either way, they're, they're threats in the passing game. Um, and this allows Arthur Smith to do a lot of different – stuff with his formation so if you've got two tight ends who can not only provide support in the run game but catch the ball and their kind their matchup problems like Kyle Pitts he was I think 23 snaps out of the slot and six of his eight targets came out of the slot uh, last week Um, that's a big deal and you want strong bodies but also quick bodies and usually your safeties are those types of bodies? So either way, will be interesting to see. Plus, you got to think the Bucks would be more apt to use their dime package with Jordan Whitehead back in the mix. But anyways, moving on to the next big injury, which is Jason Pierre-Paul. Did not see this one coming. He was a limited participant uh, in Wednesday's practice with a hand injury. And then he did not practice whatsoever on Thursday. So that is certainly something to watch for on Friday. I am recording this on a Thursday evening. Uh, Thirsty Thursday, by the way. Hope y'all are all doing well. Enjoy responsibly. But this is a big deal. I mean, JPP – God bless his heart, first off, just battling yet another injury. You know, that was one of the big topics all offseason was how he was 100% healthy, um, you know, played mostly 70% last year, yet he still led the team in sacks, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I mean, this is a big deal, and if he does not practice on Friday, it doesn't rule him out on Sunday, but it's going to make him a game-time decision at best. I mean, you don't just miss the last two days of practice with an injury that has downgraded you from limited to completely out and not just say, oh, yeah, okay, I'm fine on Saturday. But at the end of the day, this is JPP we are talking about. The dude has come back from a broken neck, blown off fingers. I mean, my God, some of like the craziest injuries a football player can ever sustain. This guy has come back and has still managed to sustain a high-level success. So he's a freak of nature. It would not surprise me if we did hear on Saturday or something that JPP was going to play. However, if he does not practice tomorrow, I would put money on it that he's going to be a game time decision leading up to Sunday's game, which means we won't probably hear anything until around two o'clock central, three o'clock Eastern time. And then there's the low key injury with Zach Triner, his finger. Apparently heard it in the second quarter of the Dallas game. Nobody had any idea whatsoever. Bruce Arian said he didn't even know until Triner showed up on the injury uh, report. But either way, I can't remember what players said. Uh, they came in and Triner's finger was like the size of a Polish sausage or something like that, like the size of a cucumber. Just like, oh my god, dude, what the hell happened? Like, uh, pretty pretty wild story. Pretty cool story too. That he snapped, perfectly snapped. Uh, the ball during the game winning kick and Bruce Arians even said himself that he'd been real pissed if somebody was out there snapping the ball in that moment which leads me to my overall point do not brush off this Zach Triner injury yes he's a long snapper but hey every position on the field matters and if you think about it the long snapper has his hands on the ball not often but when he does it is some pretty clutch moments in the game. We're talking punts and field goals. You could be punting from. Your own 15 yard line. That ball sails over the punter's head. If it were to sail over Bradley Pinion's head, it could fly out the back of the end zone for a touchback. Bradley Pinion it, it could miss it. it, could bounce off his fingers, basically being a fumble. The, the other team could recover in the end zone, become a touchdown. All, same thing to go with a field goal. He could oversnap a field goal. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that could go wrong in these moments and cost you points or give the other team points on the other side. So, It's a big deal, and Triner has appeared in 36 straight games with Bradley Pinion as the team's long snapper, so something that was talked about all season, or all during the offseason, was continuity within this team. That's a lot of continuity, just to toss out the window. So, Carson Tinker, yes, he's got a lot of experience. He played, I think, six years, uh, 2013 to 2018, but he's only been on practice squads since 2018. So... Yes, he's obviously practicing when he's on the practice squad. That's why it's called the freaking practice squad. But he hasn't been in live game action since 2018. So, I mean, if there's any kind of growing pains early on, it might cost the Bucks. Especially, and I'm not trying to look ahead here, but in a big matchup like the week three matchup versus the Rams. So, don't brush off this Zach Triner injury while it's probably not going to be anything major at the end of the day. It's still worth, you know, keeping your eye on and not just throwing it on the back burner and thinking everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows because this is the NFL, y'all. You should know better than that. One thing you definitely know is that Adnan Eekage is up next to help me preview the Bucks falcons game in week two, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. And you know what else you should know? You should know that our pod, Believe in Bucks, is partnering with PlayActionPools.com this season to bring some interactive fun to the sport we love the most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our PlayActionPools.com Football Pick'em Challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works sign up for our contest, Believe Football Pick'em, at PlayActionPools.com and then get your picks in each week. We're going to select the 10 highest profile games of the week between NFL and college football. Whoever gets the most picks correct each week. Week, we'll win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to playactionpools.com and sign up for the contest Believe, B L E A V Football Pick 'em, and if you plan on hosting your own football contests, go to playactionpools.com today. They've got Survivor, Pick 'em, and another one, it's a cool sports book style concept called Build Your Bankroll. Playactionpools.com, your new home for all your office sports pools. All right, everyone. Welcome back into season one, episode nine of the Believe in Bucks podcast. And just as I promised, I have Adnan Ikich of The Falcoholic with me. It's part of the SB Nation universe. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Say Which Way, and you can find his work on thefalcoholic.com. Adnan, man, thank you so much. I think this is like your third or fourth time coming on the show, man. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see I haven't annoyed you uh, to the point of no return just yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can tell how much uh, I enjoy being here, uh, coming back so frequently. And yeah, thank you. uh, Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, man. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on. But let's go ahead and jump into this, uh, this preview. So obviously, we'll start off with some warm up questions as per the usual. And of course, everyone, you know, let's all keep in mind here, it's still just week one. So, you know, There's still a lot to play out in this marathon that we call the NFL. Um, so while, yes, we are going to preview this game, just always remember the questions and responses. It's still week one, folks. So no need to hit the panic button just yet. But anyways, uh, Adnan, obviously the talk uh, coming out of week one is the offensive line when it comes to the Falcons. Um, how worried are you about this front five?
1: Um, I'm very worried. Uh, I won't lie to you. The Falcons offensive line from left to right. Uh, the names are Jake Matthews uh, is at left tackle. Jalen Mayfield is left guard, Matt Hennessy, uh, And then on the right side of the line, you have Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry. Only two out of those five coming into the season are players whom Falcons fans uh, were comfortable with. And, you know, two players who are proven solid starters. And those are Jake Matthews and Chris Lindstrom. And, you know, they... They showed it in week one as well, but outside of those two, the other three are very big question marks. Caleb McGarry's going into year three at right tackle, and we still don't know. The, he's a player the Falcons traded up from the mid-second round into the late first for the year they drafted Chris Lindstrom back in 2019. We're still not sure if the Falcons are even going to pick up his fifth-year option at this point. On the inside, Matt Hennessy was a third-round pick last year. Uh, he struggled a little bit toward the end of the year. He was supposed to be Alex Max Air, Alex Max era parent. And he did take over the starting center role this season. But, you know, he's definitely uh, a big question mark in there. And then you have Jalen Mayfield, who uh, just, I can't mince words. He was an absolute train wreck in week one. Uh, he's someone who was a right tackle over at Michigan in college, converted to left guard. And, yeah, he was... Uh, I think without exaggerating, the worst left guard in the NFL in week one. And, you know, it doesn't really get much easier for him. So the Falcons really, really need two of those three players to become solid starters rather quickly for this offensive line to really be able to unlock anything that Arthur Smith wants to do on offense.
0: Speaking of Jalen Mayfield, a, like a 1.9 PFF grade or 1.4 so.
1: pass blocking. PFF oh grade. I, I never knew it could get
0: that low. I yeah, never, I mean, yeah, I mean people, you know, dog on PFF from time to time for their grades and you know, how, how can you be so absolute? But yeah, I think we all can agree that it was bad. I, I did watch that game and I didn't get a chance to watch the all 22, but I watched the broadcast angle. Unfortunately, you know, with the broadcast angle, you can get a good idea of what's going on in the trenches and, dude, he was just – yeah, you're absolutely right. A, a train wreck is almost putting it lightly. Um, does he start this week versus Tampa Bay, and who doesn't if he, do, if he is uh, on the bench?
1: Uh, I think that they're going to give him another start this week. Um, and I don't know if he's going to finish the game. If he plays <laughs> like that, I, I don't think he'll play all the snaps. If he doesn't uh, start, the next person in line would be Drew Dahlman, whom the Falcons took in the fifth round. Uh, he only saw nine snaps uh, in that first game, but he looked, he looked really good uh, in those nine snaps outside of a false start penalty. But yeah, Jalen Mayfield, the thing is, I really feel bad for him. Uh, it's as if he was pretty much set up for failure. Uh, he was a third round pick and he wasn't a player who came into the NFL as someone who was projecting as a day one starter. Uh, He was more of a future pick for next season, but the Falcons just outright didn't really address the left guard position. They signed Josh Andrews, who himself has been a train wreck for years. Uh, He's a a journeyman left guard who's started the season out on IR. And, you know, Jalen Mayfield, uh, he converted to left guard from college, but he didn't really get too many snaps at left guard in training camp because Caleb McGarry and the backup right tackle Matt Gono were out. So they decided to give him a bunch of snaps at right tackle throughout training camp. He wasn't too good there. And then he really didn't get the necessary snaps needed to convert and to adjust to the left guard position. And then, and then they just threw him to the Wolves against Fletcher Cox in week one, now against Vita Veya in week two. So, you know, he's he I, I hope his mental fortitude is is strong enough to where this doesn't really just completely shatter his confidence moving forward.
0: That Yeah, you absolutely took the next thing that I was going to say. Going up against Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave, and now you're going up against Vita Vea and Ndamukong Sue, Man, you want to talk about baptism by fire. But sticking along to kind of the trenches in that area, the Falcons' run game. Man, I loved how they were using the fullback. Yes, there were some frustrating performances, you know, overall on the offense. But uh, I thought – I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but their fullback I thought looked pretty good, made some plays. But I just hey, love seeing – Yeah, there you go. And and I love just seeing teams, you know, use fullbacks because obviously that's just, you know, growing up in the 90s, watching football and stuff, that was kind of like the prime fullback era. But either way, uh, they also ran a lot of 12 personnel, obviously 21 personnel with that fullback. Um, But obviously going up against an elite team in Tampa Bay and their run defense, how – I mean, you don't want to – I don't want to use the phrase establish the run because obviously, you know, you run – you run when it's necessary. You run when it's efficient. But how important is it for this running game to have success this week?
1: Uh, I think it's huge just because those three players that I mentioned earlier, Caleb McGarry, uh, Jalen Mayfield, and Matt Hennessey, they were very, very poor when it came to pass blocking. And thus far, they really haven't shown anything as pass blocking. Like we talked about Jalen Mayfield's 1.4. Matt Hennessey's PFF pass blocking grade – was a 20 which is also an absolute disaster <laughs> right. in game one and you know McGarry was a 44.6 which isn't like too good either the Falcons if you noticed it in week one they ran the ball a lot even when they got behind and that wasn't by design that was by necessity uh they they kept running the ball because every time Matt Ryan would drop back and every time he he had to drop back to throw one of those complex routes uh, that the receivers were running. He just didn't have time to do it on those fourth downs. He, he had almost no time uh, when he was forced to pass. So it's, it's huge for one a, those, those players to be better pass blockers. They, they can't be any worse than they were in week one. Uh, if they are, then this game won't, won't even be close. And, you know, Arthur Smith, the run game is a staple of uh, Arthur Smith as a play caller, as a coordinator. Obviously, he doesn't have Derrick Henry here in Atlanta, but the run game was looking really good against Philadelphia. Uh, the the uh, Falcons offensive line was much better run blocking than they were pass blocking. And I think it's important that they have some semblance of success with the run game just so that they're able to utilize play action and so that they can use that as a, a bit of a shield for Matt Ryan when it came, when it comes to the passing game as well.
0: Cordell Patterson, man, he just continues to amaze me. I mean, He's you know, the best
1: player on the field for the Falcons he, Dude, he, yeah, he
0: looked good and his his NFL career has just been so weird, man. Like, and you know, I watched him at Tennessee obviously, and if you would have told me 10 years ago he would be a running back at the 10-year point uh point in his career, I would just be like you are smoking something, pass it over here. But yeah, he was, he looked great. And I mean, that's Bucks fans should know him well from the bears matchup last, uh, last year, he had a couple of clutch catches in that game and a couple of uh, clutch plays. I think even like a big 20, 25 yard reception on the bears game winning drive. So can't wait to see how Arthur Smith continues to use him. But speaking of Arthur Smith, um, he's never had Julio Jones in a game, so he can't really miss him. But how much do you think like Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, et cetera, et cetera, on offense, and just the Falcons in general? How do you think they're adjusting to life without Julio through one week?
1: Well, obviously, you can't lose a player of Julio Jones's caliber and, and be a better football team because of it. Uh, Good point. I I don't think that was ever going to happen this year. But yeah, whenever you lose someone like a Julio Jones, that that's a domino effect for the entire offense. Uh, Matt Ryan doesn't have the player he had his uh, closest and deepest connection with for the past 10 years. And then everyone else has to move up a spot. Calvin Ridley goes from being a number two to the undisputed number one wide receiver, now facing double coverages, now facing the opposing team's best uh, cornerback. And, you know, he, he played very well in that role last year when Julio Jones was out. But uh, it, it's, still, it's still not an easy role when, you're, when you are the guy as opposed to when you have Julio Jones on the other side of the field. Russell Gage went from being the slot wide receiver for the Falcons to now having to be the number two guy. And you know, Gage is someone who just a few years ago at LSU wasn't even playing wide receiver. He's put in the work and he's done a good job to uh, advance to the point of where he is now. He was drafted as a sixth rounder as a 6th round gunner on special teams. Um, Obviously, obviously, uh, you have Kyle Pitts there, but I've been trying to tamper expectations with Kyle Pitts, who's a rookie tight end. Uh, Pitts, for what the Falcons uh, sacrificed for him, uh, giving the fourth overall draft pick to take him and the opportunity cost that it took uh, to not take some of those other really good players, Obviously, the Falcons are really hoping that Kyle Pitts, a few years from now, can fill into that uh, Julio Jones role and maybe even replace him uh, at some point. But right now, he's a rookie tight end and rookie tight ends don't have uh, historically great rookie seasons. But yeah, definitely the Falcons... They're going to miss Julio Jones. I don't think the week one stinker was because Julio Jones wasn't there. Uh, you could line up a prime Jerry Rice and a prime Calvin Johnson out wide, and the Falcons still wouldn't have scored too many points with how poorly the offensive line played. But we'll definitely, we're definitely going to feel the ramifications of that Julio Jones trade throughout the, the entirety of this season and into next season as well, I would guess.
0: Well, if it helps, he did not look very good uh, against the Cardinals up here in Nashville. I actually went to that game and Yeah, it was – talk about a rough game. (laughs) That one was rough as well. I'm glad I didn't have to buy the ticket for that. But, yeah, that's kind of the immediate um, thing I noticed was Russell Gage, how it's affecting him because he was getting split between inside and outside a lot. And usually, like you said, he's their slot receiver. Uh, So, it's going to be interesting to see how they play him against the Bucs because he has had a lot of success against Tampa Bay uh, in the past. And I'll get into that here in our matchup just here in a couple minutes. But uh, moving over to the defensive side of the ball – Outside of Grady Jarrett, who the hell is going to show up uh, with this Falcons pass rush, man? And, and who, who stood out to you, though? Who's showing a little bit of promise against the Eagles?
1: Um, Deion Jones uh, is the main guy. He's, he's the man on this defense other than Grady Jarrett. He's one of the leaders. He's one of the uh, captains on the team. He, he played well when he uh, was let loose on the blitz against uh, Jalen Hurts, so did Foy Oluakin. The Falcons strength on defense is without a doubt, their linebacking core between Jones, Oluwakin and second year man, Michael Walker. uh, They brought in a couple of uh, free agents uh, at linebacker. Brandon Copeland was cut before week one, but then brought in right after week one, he spent training camp with the Falcons. That's for guarantee purposes. He'll probably be a decent depth piece, but the Falcons, they they're going to have to get some pressure rushing four players, Uh, not just against the bucks, but just in general, they had no success rushing four against the Eagles. Dean Pease is a defensive coordinator who really likes calling the blitz and he will Mm. not be afraid to dial up the blitz. Oh yeah. But you can't just dial up the blitz over and over again, especially against someone like Tom Brady, who's just going to pick you apart. If you keep doing that, um, the Falcons have to, have to get some pressure from some of these guys that aren't named Grady Jarrett along the defensive line. I'm looking at uh, Marlon Davidson. He got only 21 snaps in week one. He was the Falcons' second-round draft pick uh, last year. He's from Auburn for the SEC fans who uh, followed him and tracked him. He was a first-team all-SEC defensive selection his last year in college, playing next to Derek Brown. He didn't really have much of a rookie season last year. He contracted COVID. He battled injuries. He didn't have a training camp. So this is pretty much his de facto rookie season. But the Falcons really need him to you know, step up in a big way this season, playing next to Grady Jarrett. Um, beyond that, some of the edge guys, Steven Means didn't have too good of a game against the Eagles. Uh, Jacob Tuoti Mariner is uh, another guy who... I'm, I'm looking at it as one of those rotational pieces who we're really hoping you know can kind of help Grady Jarrett out a little bit because on that defensive line, it's for the past number of years, it's just been Grady Jarrett as a one-man show, and then the guys around him have just been disastrous. And don't even get me started on Dante Fowler, who is one of the highest-paid players on this, uh, on this defense, on this entire team. And last year, he did nothing in week one, he really did nothing. He, he's someone who whom the Falcons really need to kind of start earning his paycheck. Uh, they incent, they changed his contract to an incentives laden contract, uh, more or less this season. I think if he gets 11 and sacks this year, he'll get a $4 million bonus. I definitely wouldn't bet on him doing that, but, uh, he he's someone, he's one of those veteran players who really needs to step up and really needs to start winning those one-on-one matchups for the Falcons to have any success.
0: Yeah, you want to talk about somebody who's got Aaron Donald saved as number one in his phone, that's Dante Fowler, because that's like the only reason he's had even like an inkling of success. And when I say success, success that a number five overall pick should be having. Uh, number I mean three. he's Number Number three. three. There you go. Yeah, even there you go. Even even worse. So um, but going back to the the defense and the pass rush, uh, that's the one good thing about Dean Pease is, like you said, he's going to scheme up those blitzes. He's going to put the guys in the right spots uh, to make the plays. But that's only going to last so long. I mean, Tom Bray's going to find out. He's going to pick it apart. Especially this Bucks' offensive line is very, very good at pass protection. So they're eventually going to start picking things up as well. Um, and I actually listened to uh, Aaron Freeman, who writes for The Falcoholic on occasion and is also the host of uh, the Locked On Falcons podcast. I was listening to that earlier today, and he had a great point that, you know, at the end of the day, you do have to have the players to execute a scheme is often overblown if you don't have the guys to get the job done it really doesn't matter at the end of the day so yeah man I think you're spot on uh with with peas and the pass rush and all that good stuff so to to Grady Jarrett's uh to his um what's the word I'm looking here for uh yes to his credit good lord man that was so I'm such a great host right Uh, (laughs) to, to his credit he could have had a couple sacks last week you know if that was Tom Brady back there you know, instead of Jalen Hurts, then he would have been going down. Uh, no doubt about that. But
1: he, he did have one play on that fourth down where he forced Jalen Hurts to the right and then Hurts kind of like threw it away. Right. Uh. But yeah, that was, to me, really impressive. He chased, he went step for step against Jalen Hurts. And, you know, not not many defensive tackles in the NFL are really doing that. But yeah, he's he's been the saving grace on this defense for the past few years. I, I shudder to think, just how bad this defense would have been, and it's been really bad with him. But without him, it just would have been a catastrophe.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson were gonna like I don't know they they were having they were getting really excited over him chasing Jalen Hurts. That I, I thought that was pretty funny during the broadcast. But moving to the back end of the the se- of the defense, the secondary, can this Falcon secondary slow down the Bucks receiving core at all?
1: Uh, in a word, no. Uh. I, I don't I don't think so, uh, but you know what what secondaries can really what secondaries in the NFL really have have the horses keep up with Mike Evans Chris Godwin, and uh, Antonio Brown. Uh, the Falcons have one really solid cornerback uh, in AJ Terrell, who was the team's first rounder last year, who we're really hoping takes that step this season uh, into into the territory of being a very very good cornerback. But beyond him, it's you know, it's a bunch of uh, journeymen and young players at the cornerback position. The team's second cornerback is uh Fabian Moreau, uh, who played for the Washington football team last year. He was a pretty solid starter. He he got uh burned by Devontae Smith on a pick play uh, for Philadelphia's first touchdown, but other than that he was a uh, he was pretty okay but yeah the falcons don't really have the horses to keep up with with this buck secondary um one-on-one definitely not and especially if if uh the front seven can't get a pass rush on tom brady it's it it could it could become a very very ugly afternoon turning into evening because this is a a 4 p.m kickoff for some reason on sunday but uh definitely I, i wouldn't I wouldn't bet money on, on the Falcons secondary winning many of those matchups. I'll be pleasantly surprised if if they do. Uh and it would it would uh, be really nice for us if they could, but other than AJ Terrell, this secondary just doesn't have the horses for it.
0: It's going to be interesting to see what happens. And yeah, the the pass rush and the secondary are definitely going to have to work hand in hand on this one. Um yeah speaking of that kickoff I saw the same thing I was like what the hell I was like why is this getting kicked off at three but hey ratings are ratings I guess you know whatever works all right man so we're getting to the kind of the back end of the preview what's one matchup to watch on offense or defense that you're going to be keeping your eye on in this game uh
1: well I mentioned AJ Terrell Uh, I don't know who exactly is going to be lined up on possibly Mike Evans but uh He's, we're real, I'm really, really paying attention and looking forward to seeing his maturation. And I'd love to, I'd love to see him uh, match up against one of these big time Bucks wide receivers. It won't be Chris Godwin in the slot. I think it'll be Mike Evans. And I think that'll be a really, really good litmus test for uh, Terrell in his progression as uh, a number one cornerback on an NFL team on this team. Uh, Mike Evans is a guy who historically has absolutely toasted the Falcons back when Desmond Trufant and Robert Alford were here. It's, it was just without a doubt he was going to go for, you know, over a hundred yards and two scores seemingly. So uh, I look forward to seeing, seeing that cornerback uh, wide receiver matchup. I don't think he'll exclusively be on Evans. He may be on Antonio Brown here and there. I doubt that they uh, put him in the slot against Chris Godwin at all, but yeah, that's that's definitely one that I'll be looking at closely.
0: I'm actually in the Bucks secondary for my matchup to watch, and it's mostly going to be Ross Cockrell, but it's going to be a number of guys in the Bucks slot on defense going up against the Falcons slot, whoever's in there for the offense. And obviously, it's going to be Russell Gage, but they do mix in Calvin Ridley from time to time, and also Kyle Pitts. He had I think 23 or 26 snaps out of the slot per PFF last week. Um, Per PFF, Cockerell has currently allowed the most receptions, seven, the third most yards, 74, and is one of nine slot corners to allow a touchdown through one week of the 2021 season. And this is on a pretty decent sample size, too. Prescott went after him. Dak Prescott, that is, went after him pretty often. PFF says that Cockerell averaged just under four snaps per target, which was the fifth most often amount during week one. And his rate of 4.4 snaps per reception is currently the fifth highest rate as well. So obviously Arthur Smith is going to see that. Now, granted, like I said, they might put, uh, Mike Edwards in the slot, the safety, they might put Antoine Winfield Jr. in the slot, depending on who's there. Um, they could even put Andrew Adams in there from time to time. But I do think Cockrell is going to be there the majority of the time. And, you know, when he goes up a guy against like like Russell Gage, who's a pretty decent-sized receiver – um, especially for a slot guy. Uh, Russell Gage is eaten against the Bucks over the last couple of years. Um, well, especially last year, he caught 14 passes for 159 yards and two touchdowns and two meetings. But per sports info solutions, eight of those receptions, 104 of those yards and both touchdowns came when he was lined up out of the slot. So, and then, like I said, you throw Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts in there. Um, whoever's in this Bucks slot position on defense, I mean, I think they're going to have their hands full. And as we saw in week 15 last year, the Falcons can certainly come out and exploit some mismatches. So that's that's where I'm going to be keeping my eye on uh, in this game for sure, because obviously the Bucs, without Sean Murphy bunding, they've got to figure out what they're going to do with that position. Um, so who is your impact player on offense and defense for this game?
1: Um, I, I feel like it would be a boring answer if I said Grady Jarrett, but he really does represent – that much of the Falcons defense uh, to the point where if he doesn't have a good game, uh, the defense is just going to, you know, completely fold. Not that he, you know, has bad games often, but uh, he's definitely, he's definitely the guy on, on defense and, you know, on offense, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what, to seeing a couple of these offensive linemen that I mentioned earlier this uh, for them will also be a really good litmus test, just like it will be for AJ Terrell. The Bucks have a very fierce front seven, a very fierce pass rush. Um, a couple of guys on offense, Caleb McGarry. I, I'd love to see him have a bounce back game. That would be huge for his confidence. Matt Hennessy as well on defense. Although like Matt Hennessy really kind of got abused against the Bucks last year when he started at guard, but you know, who, there, there's very few guards in the NFL, especially young rookie guards who won't get abused against the likes of Vita Vey and, and Dominick and Sue. So yeah, just a couple of those guys on the offensive line, th- those are, those are going to be, uh, those are going to be the most important players uh, on the field for the Falcons, because as we saw in week one, if they don't, uh, if they don't play well, then it doesn't matter What Arthur Smith schemes up, it doesn't matter, you know, how prepared the skill position players are and it'll all just go down the drain at that point because Matt Ryan will be running for his life.
0: 100 percent so my i'll i'll kind of stay in that area and i'll i'll do my defensive impact player first and that's going to be shaquille barrett who has gotten the best of caleb and gary over the last couple of years um i mean it's shaq's going to be he he said earlier in the offseason that he didn't just want to win defensive player of the year he wanted to win most valuable player so like like the mvp now obviously that's slim to none probably not going to happen most likely not going. To happen however that just shows you his mindset and he's already got one sack on the year he leads the team in pressures so he's coming after it and I mean right tackle Caleb McGarry last last week gave up team highs and total pressures pressures out of a true pass set per PFF and a uh, team high two quarterback hits he's got to bounce back like you said man but you know Shaq it's going to be a tough matchup, man, because like I said, he he's gunning for this year. That's for sure. Uh, my guy on offense is going to be AB Antonio Brown. Um, I think you're right. I think they're going to, the Falcons are going to put AJ Terrell on Mike Evans a lot. That's obviously their best corner. I know Pease doesn't really shadow, but either way he'll align it to where, uh, AJ's on that same side of the field as Mike is most of the time. At least that's what I think. Uh, And that's going to leave a lot of room open for A.B. against Fabian Moreau. I like Isaiah Oliver's matchup against Godwin in the slot. So I I wanted to pick Godwin, especially after last week, how it just looks so easy getting the ball to him. But A.B., man, he's just he's on a mission as well. And I think he has a really big game, which goes into my bold prediction. But don't worry, man, I'm not going to steal your thunder. Uh, What is your bold prediction? And then we'll wrap up with the final score prediction right after that.
1: Well, given the doomsday, uh, the doomsday forecast I've given with the Atlanta Falcons with all the struggles, uh, my bold prediction probably won't make, won't be as consistent uh, with what I've been saying because uh, my bold prediction is that even uh, I'm picking the Bucks to win. But even though I'm picking the Bucks to win, I think that this will be a one score game at some point in the fourth quarter. Uh, I don't have too much logic behind it because (laughs) on on paper, on paper, the Bucs should absolutely blow the Falcons out. But we've seen with this rivalry over the years, even when one team is really good and one team isn't, there's been so many close games. Uh, Even back earlier in the Matt Ryan era when the Falcons were really good and when the Bucs weren't as good, starting uh, the likes of Josh Freeman and Mike Lennon, those games were seemingly all of them were incredibly close. The Falcons lead the all time uh, series 28 to 27, which, you know, it, it's a razor thin margin. Since Matt Ryan came along, it, it's, uh, the Falcons have the 16 to 10 edge in the series lead. But out of those 26 games, 17 of them were one score games. And then you have a couple of those multi score games, which were still very close in the fourth quarter. Um, last year, the Bucks were again on paper a much much better team than the Falcons, and both matchups were incredibly close. In the first one, the Falcons blew uh, a big lead, a three score lead against Tom Brady. You know where have we seen that before? Mm-hmm. And in the second matchup, even though the Bucks won that game by seventeen, it was a three point game with less than four minutes left. So it's just one of those NFC South rivalry games. And we've seen it a lot in this division, even though one team is completely overmatched on paper, these games tend to be incredibly fun, very, very close. And I think that's going to be the case on Sunday. Uh, I think the Bucks do pull it out just because they have, you know, a lot more talent and, you know, they have a lot more going for them. But I think that, the Falcons will look a lot better than they did in week one and that it'll be uh, a much closer game than what we saw in week one. I like
0: it, man. And yeah, dude, I mean, I'm right there with you. It's a division game. You never know. And the Bucks got punched in the mouth back in week 15. I mean, 17 zip 24 seven right after they scored coming out of halftime. I mean, uh, it was mentioned on their uh, series, their offseason series, like uh, the the media department does like this big production. It's almost like a hard knocks type deal. It's called In the Current. And JPP had to give this like big time rah-rah speech during halftime to really rally the guys. And that's honestly, that's what I picked last year as the turning point in the season was that Falcons halftime in week 15. So, yeah, they got to come out and they've got to know that this Falcons team is not going to take them lightly whatsoever However, my bold prediction is that AB, he has not had back-to-back 120-plus yard games in the same season since 2017. I think that ends this week. I think a lot of that, he's going to get a couple of deep balls. But also, you know, obviously, we've been talking about it. Dean Pease loves to blitz. He loves to use those exotic pressure schemes. So I think the Bucs are going to try to offset that with some screens and quick passes, which – A B is usually their main screen guy Uh, can be Scotty Miller from time to time can be Chris Godwin, but usually it's going to a B so that also will get him a couple of extra catches, a couple of extra touches, but, at the end of the day, I am right there with you. I think this is going to be a one-score game. I mean, I took the Falcons to cover last week, saw how that turned out, but I'm still going to take them to cover this week, damn it. And I think for a final score, I think it's going to be 34-28. I think it's going to be a close game, and the Bucks are going to be in yet another fight. But, hey, you know, iron sharpens iron, whatever stupid football cliche you want to use. Um, I am down for them to get, you know, make sure they get their minds straight these first couple weeks because these next couple weeks are not going to be easy for the Bucks. So they they definitely can't overlook this game. So I'm right there with you, man. Uh, close game. I think it's going to be fun. And this was a lot of fun. Thank you, Adnan, so much for coming on. Uh, real quick, plug your stuff. Let everybody know where they can find you before we head out.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, you can uh, find my work and any Falcon-centric work at thefalcoholic.com, which is – uh, as mentioned, in the SB Nation family, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Say Which Way. I'm mostly just on Twitter. Um, but, yeah, that's, you know, that's about where uh, you can find me for any Falcons and Atlanta sports-related stuff.
0: Y'all heard him there. Be sure to check it out. He does great work, and he's a great Twitter follow as well. Thank you, man, so much again for coming on. We'll definitely talk soon.
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
0: All right, everyone, we're coming in on the back end of episode nine of the Believe in Bucks podcast. I'm Evan Winter. Thank you all so much for sticking through. I hope you enjoyed that preview with Adnan. He's a great dude, really insightful, knows his stuff. So always a pleasure having him on. So now gonna hop into some spreads for this weekend. Now, like I said earlier, last week was absolutely miserable for me. It's uh, the worst week I've had in um, two years of gambling. So you know. Tread lightly here, whatever. I don't blame you if you don't want to listen to me. If you've already shut this off and you're not even listening, hey, guess what? I still got that download. (laughs) Anyways, let's hop into these spreads. Uh, First one that sticks out to me has got to be New Orleans minus three and a half. This has nothing to do with the beatdown they put on Green Bay last week. This is simply they are a better team than the Carolina Panthers. Uh, The Carolina Panthers struggled with the Jets a little bit, controlled the game for the most part, but there were still a few moments where it looked like the Jets might be able to come back and do something in that game. The Panthers' defense still not completely sold. It's a work in progress. Uh, you're telling me that New Orleans wins by four points, let's say a 24-20, 17-13 20, type game. I'm taking that all day long, especially with Sean Payton, who if he if he gets the Saints not only just to the playoffs, like let's say they have a great year. Let's say they go on and win the division. They make the playoffs. They make a playoff run. They don't even have to win the Super Bowl. Let's just say they get to the NFC Championship game or you know, even the Super Bowl, and they lose. Uh, Sean Payton's going to get coach of the year, just based off of what the Saints have had to deal with in terms of injuries, in terms of COVID over these last few days. And then if he can get Jameis Winston to continue to do what he did last week, even if he only threw like 20 passes or whatever the final stat line was, uh, then Sean Payton's going to be coach of the year. You can go ahead and take that to the bank. Anyways, next spread's going to be Miami plus three. What the hell is going on with this spread? I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm pissed because Buffalo cost me $350 last week. I teased them down to a half point, which is essentially a pick em, duh. And then I teased the under to whatever it was, six points. So I nailed the under. But obviously, Buffalo blew that game harder than, than a hooker on a Friday night. And I was just absolutely livid. That was my main bet of the week. So maybe, just maybe, I'm letting some emotions get into this, but I don't know if you saw the same product I saw when Miami beat New England last week, but... Miami's got a pretty good damn defense. Guess who else has a pretty good damn defense? The Pittsburgh Steelers. And we saw what the Pittsburgh Steelers did to Buffalo last week. Uh, Miami's at home. I'm sorry, but I'm taking the Dolphins all day long, plus three on this one. The next one, we're going to go out west to the L.A. Rams. Uh, I love minus three and a half at the Indianapolis Colts. Um, To me, that just seems like easy money. I don't know if y'all saw what the Rams did to – the Bears on Sunday night last week, but Matt Stafford just looks absolutely amazing. If you've been following me and my work, you know that the Matt Stafford to the L.A. Rams storyline is one of the storylines I'm going to be following closely throughout the season. Just absolutely just just tore the Bears a new one. Um, I, just right now, I don't see anybody beating the L.A. Rams. I know it's week one, folks, but right now it's just hard for anybody, for me to see anybody beating the L.A. Rams, especially with Carson Wentz as your quarterback. And then we're sticking in L.A. for my last and final one, uh, the Chodges. I mean, they're minus three and a half against the Cowboys, who are now without DeMarcus Lawrence, I believe DeMonte Casey, and a couple of other pretty key defensive players. Um, Zach Martin will come back, which is huge. Take the over in this one. I think it's going to be another shootout. But at the end of the day, the Chargers, to me, are just a better team. Um, I would honestly probably say they have a better coaching staff as well with uh, Brandon Staley, Joe Lombardi, um, you know, so on and so forth over there in uh, L.A. So, those are the four. Just to repeat in case your tiny little pea brains forgot, New Orleans minus three and a half, Miami plus three, the L.A. Rams minus three and a half, and the Chajas minus three and a half as well. So there you go, folks. Go ahead get rich on me. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a nice night. But you think I'm just going to sign off like that? No, not at all. Of course, I've got to remind you one more time where you can find me. You can find me on Twitter, at Evan underscore Winter. You can find my written work on Sports Illustrated's AllBucks.com. And be sure to check out this podcast as well as all the other wonderful podcasts over at believe.com b l e a v dot com. Well, that'll just about do it, folks. Thank y'all so much for hanging out with me and Adnan tonight. It was a blast. Hope y'all had a blast. It's gonna be a fun game this weekend. Should be another Bucks win, uh, and then that means it's time to go to L A, baby, for a huge, huge showdown with the Rams. But first, you gotta get past the Falcons. So until next time, everyone, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, and go fuck.